Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Wednesday, the 18th of August. My name is Sam, and I'm joined by Zara. It's been another big 24 hours of news, but we are here to take you all through it. We put up on our Instagram yesterday, what questions do you have at the moment? And there's one question that really stood out to us in sheer numbers, really. I mean, the amount of responses we got along these lines were plentiful. So today we're going to take the opportunity to explain what is the Taliban and take a few steps back to understand the historical context behind that group and how we got to where we are today. Zara, what's happening around the country with COVID-19? Yesterday in New South Wales, there were 452 locally acquired cases. So that was a minor decrease in the previous day's cases, with at least 30 of those cases infectious in the community and again, close to 300 under investigation. There was sadly also one death recorded. Over in Victoria, there were 24 locally acquired cases, 21 of those were linked and 10 were infectious in the community. And we've seen a cluster growing around an engagement party that was held illegally recently. And here's what Premier Dan Andrews said about the commentary that has surrounded this illegal gathering. Anti-Semitism is unacceptable and evil. And we have a zero tolerance approach to that in our state. The event that we spoke about at some length yesterday was not a function of being Jewish. It was a stupid function. It was an illegal function. Those people are being dealt with. Them breaking the rules was not a reflection on the Jewish community more broadly. Over to our nation's capital, and there were 17 locally acquired COVID-19 cases in the ACT yesterday, with 7,380 tests carried out. In the Northern Territory, there were no new cases of COVID on its first day of the SNAP lockdown, but 300 people were identified as close and casual contacts of the initial case. To the men and women of our ADF and Australia's veterans... I know today is a day of sadness and reflection for our Afghanistan veterans. It's a time of deep and uncomfortable questioning, and that is only right. We shouldn't hide from it. The scenes from Kabul have been absolutely heartbreaking. That was Scott Morrison yesterday speaking at a press conference about how Australia is responding to the crisis in Afghanistan. Yesterday, the government announced that no Afghan visa holder in Australia will be asked to return to Afghanistan during this unstable time. Despite all of this, Morrison did say yesterday that not all Afghan interpreters and other staff will be able to be evacuated to Australia. And today's good news, the Biden administration has approved a measure to permanently boost food stamp benefits by 25% across the United States. There's 42 million recipients of food stamps and they receive average benefits for food stamps, officially known as the SNAP program, that will now be 25% above pre-pandemic levels. This program kicks off in October this year. A lot of our listenership and our readership on Instagram might not be overly familiar with the Taliban because they kind of faded from the forefront of news reporting back in 2001, at least in Western news reporting, after they were toppled in Afghanistan by Allied forces. But this is not where the story of the Taliban starts. So the Taliban, which directly translates to students in English, is an Islamist militant group in Afghanistan. They have origins back in the 1970s in northern Pakistan, but started to really emerge in the 90s and started consolidating power and territory. Then in 1996, they took power in Afghanistan and began to govern. 
One really important point to mention here, and I've seen this on social media a lot in the last few days, is this notion of the US indirectly funded the Taliban. And it's at this point of time, the 70s, 80s and 90s that we're talking about, where this political idea stems from. This original reporting was done around the late 70s by Washington Post journalist Carl Bernstein, and he found that the US funded and supplied weapons to the Mujahideen rebels as they were going up against the USSR. Today, that is Russia. And the USSR had invaded Afghanistan in 1979. The Mujahideen rebels won in that conflict. You've got to remember that the USSR and America were sworn enemies here. But factions of this newly armed Mujahideen rebels eventually evolved into the Taliban. And that's where the idea the US indirectly funded the Taliban comes from. So then if we fast forward a bit, just before 2001, the Taliban was in power and that power took the form of Sharia law. So that was implemented across the country and there's no sugarcoating it. Under Sharia law, women were oppressed. There were extremely public and visceral displays of punishment and ancient sites were destroyed during this time. This all changed after the Allies invaded in 2001, following the events of 9-11. The Taliban was officially defeated in Afghanistan on December 6, 2001, which was less than three months after the 9-11 attacks. Since then, a 20-year gap, the Taliban has been engaged in what can best be described as guerrilla warfare against the US. And that includes its allies, which is, of course, Australia. All this time, simultaneously, US-led forces were arming the Afghan army and the democratically-led government with weaponry and resources in the hope that when they left and withdrew from Afghanistan, that this new Afghan army would be able to defend a Taliban invasion attempt. Presumably, that was in mind when President Donald Trump signed a peace deal in 2020. So just to underscore that, while Joe Biden has overseen the withdrawal of US forces, it was actually Donald Trump who signed the peace deal. And that idea was that the US was to gradually withdraw and in exchange, there would be a Taliban commitment not to assist or harbour terrorists. This was agreed. And as Sam said, the two parties committed to supporting a democratic government, which was the understanding up until recently. And that kind of takes us to May of this year when US-led forces began to withdraw and the Taliban immediately moved into cities around the periphery of the country and made their way into the situation that we've seen this week with the occupation of the capital of the country, Kabul. This is a rapidly evolving situation, but it does look like that the Taliban will be recognised by a number of countries as the governing body of Afghanistan and the country will return to a state of Sharia law. Just before we finish off, because again, this was a question that was put to us. How is the Taliban funded? And there's some good literature on this, and it points out a number of key streams of revenue for the Taliban. The most important and significant form of revenue for the Taliban has actually been drugs, which in and of itself is incompatible with the way that they govern. But drugs are a major source of funds. Afghanistan accounted for an estimated 84% of global opium production over the five years ending in 2020. And a lot of these profits do go to the Taliban because the group manages opium in the areas that are under their control, which of course has expanded very recently. There is also money coming in from mining iron ore, marble, copper, gold and zinc, as well as taxes, donations from other countries, funding from other countries and exports. 
It's a lot of information to take in. We have a great array of articles on this issue over on our Instagram. If you want to take a little bit more time to delve into some of the nuances, what we do know, though, is that this is going to be one of the biggest stories of our generation. And we'd really encourage you guys to ask questions of us. We're here to help you understand what's going on in the world. That's all we've got time for today, though, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.